Bank Stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. So it's a special day here on the Dodgers Dugout Podcast. Today, we are joined by ESPN baseball reporter, MLB insider, Alden Gonzalez. Alden will be joining this weekend's broadcast of ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, along with Carl Ravis, David Cohn, and Eduardo Perez. The Dodgers, they take on the Padres for Sunday Night Baseball. First pitch is set for 408 Pacific. Alden, thanks for rocking with us, my man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, Alden, we're absolutely thrilled to have you on. But before we get into some of these hard-hitting baseball questions, some of these hot baseball topics, first we have to do the warm-up. A quick rapid-fire question round. Are you down? I think so. I'm a little nervous. Hey, it's nothing crazy. You can say pass to any of these, but let's get right into it. First question, who's your favorite player growing up? Oh, that's easy. Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr., cooler than the other side of the pill. Look, I don't care if you're a righty or a lefty. You are mimicking that batting stance, that sweet swing, that half backwards. Love that answer. Next question, favorite baseball movie? Major League, by far. Major League Classic. Now, if you were a big leaguer, what would your walk-up song be? I know this. Um... Tears for Fears. Tears for Fears. Nice, nice. But next question, better sound, crack of the bat, or pop of the glove? Pop of the glove because there's nothing more than I, that I like than play catch. Nice, nice. So you heard Alden. Look, it's play catch, not have a catch. But next question, which is the best ballpark in all of baseball? Wow. Uh... T-Mobile Park in Seattle. I've been all 30. So T-Mobile Park, the Seattle Mariners. So there you have it, Mariners fans. It's a good year for you. You're going to make the postseason for the first time since 2001. And Alden Gonzalez says, you have the best ballpark in baseball. Now, last question for the rapid-fire warm-up. One at-bat to save your life, and you need a base hit. You can pick any player in the history of baseball. Who are you sending to the plate? Just a hit. Just a hit. Tony Gwynn. Yeah, I love that answer, Tony Gwynn. I still can't get over the fact, 434 strikeouts in 20 seasons. Aaron Judge, 501 strikeouts in his first three seasons. So yeah, Tony Gwynn, what an all-time great hitter. But let's dive into some Dodger talk, because the Dodgers, they've been the hottest team in the league for quite some time now. They're sitting at 90-40, and 40, a plus 284 run differential. They're on pace to win 112 games, which would just totally obliterate the current franchise record, which is 106 wins. They did that twice, but the New York Mets did make them look human. They did bring them down to earth a little bit. They not only took the recent series, taking two out of three from the Dodgers, they also took the season series. So my first question for you, Alden, about the Dodgers is, do you think the Mets pose the biggest threat to the Dodgers in the National League, or do you think there's another team out there like the defending champion Braves, or maybe the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Brewers, or the Padres? Who poses the biggest threat to the Dodgers in the NL? It's the Mets. Um, And it's not because of this series. I mean, the Mets won two games. One of them, they robbed a home run. And the other one, the last one, the Dodgers were a mess defensively. That's not going to repeat itself in October. I say the Mets because they got Jacob DeGrom. They got Max Scherzer. And if they could line up their pitching right for a seven-game series where they maximize the usage of those guys and they get Edwin Diaz in there to convert three-plus out saves every time they have a lead, that's the advantage right there. It doesn't make them better than them in a 162-game season, but when you whittle the sample size down to a best of seven, dominant starting pitching like that can win. 
Yeah, that has to be the big fear for Dodger fans because if they face the Mets, it's likely going to be in the NLCS because the Mets, they're going to most likely hold on to this division. And if that's the case, they'll be able to set their rotation by having DeGrom and Scherzer at the front of their rotation. And you saw the closer in Edwin Diaz. They have an offense that really kind of reminds me of the Dodgers in a way, the way they grind out at bats and get that pitch count up. So, yeah, I'm hoping we see that at New York versus L.A. NLCS. But next question I have for you is the Dodgers. They have the lowest team ERA in baseball at 284. They have allowed the fewest runs in the league at 409. But there are some questions with the health of their starting rotation. Tony Gonsolin's injury looked a little worse than they had originally expected. He got some good news today about him starting a, a throwing program tomorrow. But they, of course, won't have Walker Bueller, Dustin May. He's looked strong in his return. Julio Arias really has been great all year. But should the Dodgers be concerned at all with their starting rotation heading into the postseason? It's interesting, uh, and I've made this point frequently over the last few weeks. The Dodgers, and you rattled off their run differential and their lead and their record and the pace that they have to go on to win a certain amount of games. It's so impressive. I've never seen a team that has dominated a regular season like this that, to me, faces so much uncertainty going over going into October. And I'm not saying that they can't overcome it, but it's very compelling because they have legitimate questions about their pitching. And this was before Tony Gonsolin got hurt. I have questions about the ninth inning with Craig Kimbrell. I'm sure you guys have talked about this as well. And it's just it's just not very common for a team this dominant to have such sort of pertinent questions about its pitching staff, especially when they get... <laughs> I mean, they lead the majors in ERA, and they, I think they're on pace to lead the majors in ERA for the fourth consecutive year. Um, I'll say two things about the Dodgers pitching situation right now. I wonder if they're going to get a little unconventional with their starting pitcher usage in the playoffs, meaning you have, because what they have in their biggest strength pitching-wise is their depth, even with all those injuries. And I wonder if you're going to see a situation where you have some piggyback starting pitchers, maybe a Tyler Anderson, maybe an Andrew Heaney coming in after a Kershaw, after and Rias, after a Dustin May, who's still 15 months removed from Tommy John surgery. Um, I also wonder, will they be tempted? I don't know that this is their thinking right now, but down the road, are they going to be tempted to use Julio Rios in a bullpen role? Maybe on his bullpen day, he comes out of the bullpen. Maybe he closes out a game. We've seen them do this with Julio Rios. I don't think that's Julio's preference, but I wonder if they do that. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how they use Julio Rios this time around because in 2020, it worked to perfection. He was the ultimate weapon coming out of that Dodgers pen. He closed it out in the NLCS in Game 7, closed it out in the World Series Game 6, but last season, they went to it and it didn't have as much success in game two of the NLCS and I think that he was compromised for the rest of that series so you know I call him the Urias around here I think that he's got to carry this Dodgers starting rotation a lot like he carried the bullpen in 2020 but I want to talk a little bit about this Dodgers bullpen because we know Craig Kimbrell really has struggled at times I've labeled him Craig Crumble when he can't get the job done and yes he has had some bad luck when you look at the ERA to the FIP to the BABIP but the bottom line is Dodger fans just don't don't trust Craig Kimbrell. And I just want to ask you, how do you think the Dodgers will deal with the Craig Kimbrell situation? How will they deal with the back end of their bullpen? How will they close games in October? Honestly, I, this might sound a little bit short-sighted, but I think September is going to play a big part in that. How does Craig Kimbrell look in September? And I do wonder, 
if Craig Kimbrell is in a situation where he's either your closer in the playoffs or he has no role in this bullpen. Like he's not going to be your seventh inning guy. He's not going to be your eighth inning guy. And I think it might be a situation where they're going to assess in September. They're going to keep giving him save opportunities. Is he somebody that we can trust going into the playoffs? I'm sure they're going to work with him to iron some things out. And if not, I wouldn't be surprised if he just doesn't make the roster. And then at that point, I mean, look, Evan Phillips has been fantastic. He's been almost unhittable this month. Um, Blake Trinan, if he's Blake Trinan, I think the preference for the Dodgers is that Blake Trinan is not their closer, not because he can't do it, but because he's so valuable to them in that fireman multi-inning role. I mean, he's one of the best in baseball at it. So if Evan Phillips can slot in on the ninth, and then you got Blake Trinan, and then you got... Chris Martin or Alex Vesia, or um, you're going to have Tommy Canely back, they hope. They still have some substantive depth in that bullpen. You hope that Bruce Dargraderall is okay. I think we're going to find out more about him and his forearm situation, or his elbow, I think it is, today. Um, so we'll see about that. But they have depth, you know. And again, Urias, he's the wild card to me. I mean, he deserves, I should say this, he deserves to be a starting pitcher. He deserves to be a game one starting pitcher for you in the playoffs. But just given the shape of this pitching staff, do you push him back for game four? So that early in playoff series, you could use him in different roles when you need to. I mean, Julio Urias is almost a victim of being good at it. So they use Matt. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Alden, because Julio, he has that slow heartbeat. He has proven that he can get it done out of the bullpen. He has that stuff that will play up in October in high leverage situations. But I think you got to keep him as an ace. But we'll see what the Dodgers do. I'm sure they'll have things figured out when it gets to that point. But next, I want to switch over to the American League. We know the Yankees, they were the hottest team in baseball for the first three months of the season. But then not so much in the second half after the All-Star break, after the trade deadline. I don't know if it's the curse of Joey Gallo or whatever it is, but they just haven't been the same team. But then there's the Houston Astros. They've really been the best team in the American League, the class of the AL. Do you think we're heading for a collision course between the Dodgers and the Astros for this year's Fall Classic? I don't know. It's so hard because once you get into these postseasons, it's just a tournament style and any little thing can swing series. So it's hard. I feel like there's a lot of, I mean, I think, I think there's a, a lot of pretty dominant teams in the American League right now. Like, I think there's a really big separation. But I don't know that there's one team that stands out over all of them. I think maybe you could say the Astros, but they've had some injury issues recently. Um, Justin Verlander might win the Cy Young Award coming off Tommy John surgery at age 39, which is incredible. But he just got hurt. So we'll see about that, too. Michael Brantley's a big loss for their lineup. The Yankees don't look great. The Rays keep getting hurt all the time. Nobody in the American League Central impresses me. The Mariners are young. The Blue Jays haven't played to their potential all year. I'm just trying to say there's a lot of questions throughout the American League. I think right now the Astros are the best team. Um, And I think if I had to pick a team right now, especially the way they've handled the Yankees this year, I'm picking the Astros. And I think, yeah, I mean, of course, it's going to be Dodgers-Astros in 2022. Like, I, I don't know how fans feel about this. Maybe you can answer this for me. Like, what would that be? Like, there's no... 
five, it was five years ago. Yeah, I mean, it was five years ago. I think there's really two factions of Dodger fans. Ones that will never let it go. I don't care if it's five years or 500 years. They're always going to hate the Astros and feel some hatred about what happened in that 2017 World Series. And then a lot of Dodger fans are like, hey, let's move on. The roster has already changed. I just hope that, hey, why don't we just allow for trades and maybe bring Carlos Correa back to the Astros. Let's get the bands back together and have a real rematch. I'm not taking a victory lap. It was my preseason World Series prediction, but it would make for great TV. I think it'd be great for baseball. And speaking of great for baseball, I think Juan Soto is great for baseball. And I want to ask you about Soto in the Padres, starting with what went down at the MLB trade deadline. Because we know the Padres, they ultimately made the move to get Juan Soto from the Nationals, along with Josh Bell, to San Diego. He's under team control for the next two seasons after this year. And I want to ask you, we heard the Dodgers were involved in the Soto sweepstakes, but I just want to ask you how involved were the Dodgers and were they close to landing him? I don't think they were close. I think they were involved. I think they checked in on him. I think they had a package of prospects that they were comfortable parting for Juan Soto. I don't think it was close to matching what the Padres had. I think the Dodgers role in this ultimately was driving up the price for their competitors, namely the Padres, who they knew that they really wanted Juan Soto. And I think they did it right because I mean, the Nationals pillage their farm system and that's as they should. They're giving up a generational talent. Um, I think they would have loved to have gotten Juan Soto. I don't know that it was realistic. I think this was the Padres all the way. A.J. Preller was not going to lose out to the Dodgers in a big trade like he did last year. If you go back to last year, I mean, the Dodgers getting Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. I will say, number one, AJ, it was A.J. Preller's idea to pair Trey Turner and Max Scherzer together in a trade, and it was Andrew Freeman who ended up getting him, okay? But not getting Max Scherzer is what basically... I mean, they were on their way already, but it basically pushed the Padres down the because they ran out completely of starting pitching. They had nowhere to turn. Their bullpen was already completely taxed by they got by the time they got to August, and they fell off. They fell off in historic fashion, and I just don't think AJ Prunner was going to let that happen again. And look, he he did his part, as you said. It might be one of the most successful, or the most um, the most movement we've seen at the trade deadline by one team in terms of star talent coming back. It's up to the players now, and I mean they haven't really performed to their capabilities yet. Juan Soto's been good. Josh Bell, as you said, has turned it on lately. Josh Hader's not been good. Um, this team should be a lot better than it is and they should do a lot better against Dodgers, which they haven't. Yeah, when you heard about the Kings' ransom that they wanted for Soto, I just didn't think Andrew Friedman would be willing to part ways with all these top prospects along with this big league ready town, maybe a Dulcimer or Gavin Lux. I just didn't think that it was going to happen at all. So it's nice to hear that Andrew Friedman was playing a little 3D chess with the Padres. But sticking on the Padres, they played around 500 balls since the trade deadline. They haven't caught fire like like they had hoped after making those big moves and on top of everything else, Fernando Tatis Jr., who was supposed to come back and provide a big lift, he ends up getting suspended for the remainder of the season and heading into the beginning of next season. So my next question for you is, do you think the Padres can still be dangerous in this year's postseason or do you think they'll have to wait until next year to be considered legitimate contenders? No, I think they're really good now. The problem is they just haven't played to that level yet. But I mean, Look around their team, like their lineup was a weak spot going into the year. But I think even without Tatis, when you throw Juan Soto in there, I mean, and then you have Josh Bell and Brandon Drury added to that mix and the way Machado has been playing, like 
that's a good lineup. And yes, you don't have Tatis at shortstop, but defensively with Hassan Kim, someone tell you that that might be an upgrade defensively. Now, obviously, the yeah. impact with the bat is not there on the bases, not really there. But look, it's still it's not a net zero. They they get better defense or they get high quality defense there. Their starting rotation is very good. Um, it hasn't really pitched to that level yet, or at least lately. But they have five legitimate starting pitchers that you would love to have on your team. And their bullpen is still pretty deep. Josh Hader, for the first two and a half months of this season, was unhittable. Uh, And he's been that for a long time. I don't know what's wrong with him. His velocity is still the same. His spin rates are still the same. It might be a location issue. It might be a mechanical issue. But he just hasn't looked right. You expect him to be better. So, yeah, I think this is a very dangerous team. But they're going to have to play a three-game um, wild card series on the road all three games for the first round because they're not getting the top wild card spot. It's either going to be the Mets or the Braves. That's going to be hard. Yeah, hey, man, that's why I've been telling some Dodger fans, be careful when you troll the Padres because you just never know what's going to happen in the postseason. Yes, you have Dodger fans calling them the Fraudres, a little brother, but we also saw what happened in the 2019 postseason when the wildcard Nationals, they beat the Dodgers and went all the way. So you just never know who's going to catch fire if the Padres are able to have some success against the Braves. They're going to carry a lot of momentum into that Diaz series. So that'll be very interesting to see how their season ends. But I want to go up to five a little bit and talk about the Angels. So you cover the Angels for a long time. You're very familiar with that organization. There's been some recent reports that Artie Moreno is seriously exploring the idea of selling the team. Do you think he'll ultimately sell the Angels? Oh, he's going to, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's not 100%, but it's very likely that, yes, he is going to put the team up for sale. Yes. Wow, that is going to be big because I still think the Angels are a sleeping giant in Major League Baseball. When you consider their location, when you look at the numbers when they're having success in terms of ratings and attendance, they're a very viable franchise. Orange County, a top five largest population of any county in America. And I think if that organization gets into the right hands, they could be dangerous. And that, to me, is going to be a big shift in Major League Baseball because they have the big stars of Mike Trout and they also have currently the modern-day Babe Ruth in Shohei Otani. And the next question I want to ask you is, yes, it definitely is a process when you sell a franchise. It doesn't happen overnight. But if he is intending to do it, do you think he'll seriously consider trading Otani this offseason? That's the one that I'm struggling with. And I've heard different opinions throughout the industry. One is you keep Shohei Otani because Shohei Otani brings revenue to a team. And Shohei Otani's presence elevates the value of a franchise. And I think the difference between him and a Juan Soto type, right? Because Juan Soto was traded with the Nationals being up for sale. Very similar situation is that Shohei Otani is so marketable in Japan and he brings tangible dollars with his advertising and his marketability through Japanese outlets into Angel Stadium. It's very tangible amount of money that that is gone out the door as soon as Shohei Otani departs, okay? But the other part of it too is and this is the Juan Soto situation again. If you're an incoming owner, you don't want to be the bad guy who trades Shohei Otani, right? And I think given the amount of time it usually takes to resolve a change in ownership, I mean, I don't know how, I don't, I don't have any sense for how long this is going to take, but typically you would think it's going to take through the off season, right? We're going to get through the off season. This is still going to be a process that's ongoing. So you're not going to have clarity there. I think the more likely situation, and it's why 
nobody really felt like he was going to be traded in in uh, before August second, before the deadline. But that the Angels were at the very least soliciting soliciting offers just to see what his market looks like. I think the likely scenario is they offer him a mega extension, and he he declines it. That's when they go trade him, like Juan Soto, but they do it in the offseason. Yeah, definitely think from an optics standpoint, that would be the best route to go if you're the Angels. But if I'm an owner that has billions of dollars, I'm saying, hey, keep Shohei on the Angels and we'll try to negotiate with him. We'll try to keep him in L.A. But, hey, maybe he goes to the other team in Southern California, not named the Padres or the Angels, the Los Angeles Dodgers. We know that Walker Buehler, he's going to miss the entire 2023 season. He won't be back until spring training of 2024. So maybe the Dodgers will look to add another ace to their staff. There were some reports that the Dodgers had made contact with the Angels about the availability of Shohei Otani, but I just don't think that Artie Moreno, knowing how he feels about the Dodgers, knowing how competitive he is, that he would ever let Shohei Otani go to the Dodgers. But what are your thoughts on that, Alden? Would Artie Moreno ever actually agree to a deal that would send Shohei Otani to the Los Angeles Dodgers? I don't think Artie would ever want Shohei Otani traded to the Dodgers. And I don't think last um, transaction as an owner, I don't think he wants it to be Shohei Otani in Los Angeles. Um, so no, I don't think that will happen. But if the Dodgers blow them out of the water, maybe. I don't. Just looking ahead, though, I don't see the Dodgers doing that for one year of control. They'll probably think, no, we'll wait a year and then we'll make them a major offer and then we'll get them. And a lot of people think that the Dodgers are going to get them. Now, I have no idea, right? Like people people always say the Dodgers are going to get guys because the Dodgers always get guys. But it's such a it's such a weird situation because even thinking through this right now, let's say you make Shohei Otani a major offer if you're the Angels and he accepts it, you need to know that the new owner is going to be comfortable operating at these super high payrolls when they're already paying Mike Trout all that money. They're, all pl- they're already paying Anthony Rendon all that money. And now Otani, three top tier guys, this guy, the new owner is going to have to be Steve Cohen, basically, in order for them to compete because they don't have a farm system. So there's just so many layers to this that... Honestly, the sooner this ownership situation can get resolved, the better, because that would allow more clarity to seep into the uh, the Otani situation. Yeah, it's definitely going to be one of the most fascinating, intriguing storylines this offseason. What will the Angels do with Shohei Otani? I hear you. That's definitely something you consider is just waiting and trying to sign him after next year. But I do think maybe, just maybe, if they feel like they can trade for him and sign him to a long-term deal and keep him in L.A., maybe they would consider parting away with some top prospects prospects just to have him next year already and try to maximize the rest of his prime but we'll see what happens but the Shohei talk really gets me excited because I want to see him in Dodger Blue the Lakers had the Showtime Lakers we need the Shohei time Dodgers next season I think or after that I think that'd be fantastic for baseball it just feels like he belongs in one of these big markets the Dodgers or the Yankees or a team like that but we'll see now another player I want to get your take on is Trey Turner so Trey Turner he's going to be a free agent this offseason. To me, he's a must-re-sign for the Dodgers when you look at what he brings, how dynamic he is as a player, all the success that you've had with this big three of Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman. You could even include Will Smith and call it a fantastic four. There's been a lot of talk about him wanting to sign with an East Coast team, all these rumors, but the first question I have for you is do you think it'll be the Dodgers' top priority this offseason to re-sign Trey Turner? I don't know. I think it might be 
Um, I ha I don't know enough about that situation yet, but I think they love having Trey Turner, and I think they love the way their offense flows, obviously, with him and Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman at the top. And it's interesting because when Trey Turner first got to L.A., what you heard a lot about Trey Turner, and I heard this myself, was that he wants to sign with an East Coast team. He has no interest in playing on the West Coast. He wants to have spring training in Florida, at the very least, right? Like, that's what he wants to do. Um, but it, watching him in L.A., watching the way he seems to click with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and the relationship that they've had, and, like, how could you not have fun on this team that does so well uh, in Los Angeles? I got to think that that's different now. I feel like that has shifted. Um, and I, I feel as if the Dodgers payroll, I mean, you, you might know this better than me at this point, but I feel like the Dodgers payroll is actually pretty manageable. They don't have a ton of long-term deals in the books. Mookie Betts is definitely one. Freddie Freeman is another, but you look beyond that. There's not really much of that. Most of their money is gone within a couple of years. Now, eventually, they might have to pay Julio Rios if they want to keep him. Yeah. Walker Buehler, same thing. Will Smith is going to start making a lot of money soon. So these are things that you got to consider. But in terms of long-term contracts, they have two. And they could operate, maybe unlike the Angels, they could operate at the revenue streams where they could have three guys making top-tier money and then... The thing that's so great about the Dodgers, the thing, the reason why, well, there's two reasons, right? Um, but the sustainability, number one, they could find a Tyler Anderson and they could make him an ace. So you could pay $8 million for a starting pitcher and he's an ace. Every organization would love to be able to do that. Very few can. But the second thing is just their pipeline of development. They just keep bringing guys up through the system in those zero to three years, making the league minimum. It offsets their payroll and it allows them to do stuff like this. I think Clayton Kershaw has been huge for them in that he's only taking one-year contracts. You know, he's not he's not burdening them with a big long-term deal, which he could have. He could have put pressure on them to do that. He didn't. So they have the means to be able to afford a Trey Turner. I think it's just going to come down to whether or not the two sides can find something that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Dodgers in the future, you've got Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Chris Taylor, and Austin Barnes, but that's all they have after next season. This team has a lot of flexibility to go out and pay a guy like Trey Turner, but let's say they're unable to bring him back. Let's say he signs with another team out there. Do you think the Dodgers will pivot and make an attempt to sign a Carlos Correa or a Xander Bogarts or a Dan's be Swanson, some of the other premium shortstops that could be available this offseason. I'm rooting so hard for Carlos Correa in LA. <laughs> I want that so badly to happen. I really do, just because it's so fascinating. Yeah. And just, I love the persona. Um, I think so. I think shortstop might be a hole for them right now. Um, unless you're comfortable playing Chris Taylor every day at shortstop or Gavin Lux every day at shortstop. I, I'm not saying that would be a disaster, but I don't think that's the preference. Um, I don't know who up in their system could just, they could plug and play there. Um, so I think so. I think the market is ripe to get a star caliber shortstop. I mean, Korea is going to opt out of his deal. Xander Bogart is going to be out there too. And then B. Swanson as well. I would put Trey Turner at the top of that list. But yes, I think it, I think you make a great point. I think if they don't get Trey Turner, I think they have to pivot and get a shortstop. Because when you look around at their team, and you're trying to identify just sort of weaknesses, right? 
that might be the only position. I, I don't I don't know that there's anything else there, you know? So shortstop might be it. And then obviously building out their pitching depth. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It just feels like the Dodgers want to have a premium shortstop. They want to lock up one of these big names. They were linked to Francisco Lindor a couple years ago in the trade rumors. They offered Corey Seager a $250 million contract during spring training in 2021. They offered him a big offer before he signed with the Texas Rangers. They traded for Trey. I definitely think they want one of these big shortstops. And I just don't think they feel like Gavin Lux is going to be that viable option at shortstop defensively. But we'll see how it plays out. To me, I think the Dodgers need to take a page out of Trey Turner's book. He's got the prettiest slide in the history of baseball. Just slide a big fat contract across that desk and have him sign up and lock him, Mookie, and Freddie up for the next five seasons. They're going to contend for World Series titles. But Alden, thank you so much for joining us here on the Dodgers Nation YouTube channel, the Dodgers Dugout Podcast. Man, I'm not going to lie. I could do this for hours, man. Definitely a treat to have you on. But be sure to tune in to ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, Dodgers Padres, a 4.08 first pitch. Alden will be covering the game along with David Cohn and Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez. So be sure to tune in to ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, 4.08 Pacific. But thanks for rocking with us, Alden. Thanks, man. This was fun. Appreciate you having me on. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Bring them home. Bring them home.